Last Sunday, you may recall that I said at one point in the sermon that when we hear the words, blessed are, in the Beatitudes, recognizing that much of what is offered as blessings are really things that may lead to suffering or struggle rather than happiness or bliss, that what we do in our minds is translate those words, blessed are, into the words, righteous are. Righteous are the poor in spirit. Righteous are those who mourn. Righteous are the meek. That way, we can take comfort in knowing that even though the path of discipleship has a price to be paid, maybe even a high price, we can at least find some measure of satisfaction and settledness in focusing on this matter of doing what is right. Or we might put it this way, knowing that it's hard to hold together grief and happiness, or meekness and happiness, or persecution and happiness, we can make our peace by shifting our focus from what makes us happy to what shows our faithfulness. And that can work for folks like us because faithfulness to the example and teachings of Jesus has been our guiding light. So long as we keep close company with Jesus, we are all right. We are on track. We are doing what we are supposed to do, right? I thought I was preaching to the choir. Again, as I said last Sunday, that kind of theological understanding and self-understanding has been why the Beatitudes and more broadly the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety has been so important, so central to us. It's the nuts and bolts of our discipleship. Do you want to be faithful followers of Jesus? Then do this and this and this. It's practical theology. God understanding and God connection lived out by values put into practice. Many of you know the Church of the Brethren taglines, which we so religiously embrace and which we so often repeat when we want somebody to understand us, understand our commitments, our motivations, and even our practices. Another way of living and continuing the work of Jesus peacefully, simply together. In this morning's scripture, which is really the bridge between the Beatitudes and the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, the theme of right action, righteous action, faithful action, is continued. You can call yourself salty, says Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, but if you don't taste salty, what good are you as salt? In other words, you can talk a good game, But if your talk doesn't match your walk, what good is your talk? Why does he use salt as an example? Plenty of people have tried to explain it in terms of the importance of salt as a preservative and that somehow we are called to address the decay of the world. Or some have pointed to salt as a commodity of value, thinking of salt as something measured and recognized, of measured and recognized value, but which loses its value if it loses its essential quality, its saltiness. Those could be helpful interpretations, I'm sure. But I'm kind of thinking this. If it doesn't taste salty, it's not salt. Translation, if you as people claiming to be followers of Jesus aren't following the way of Jesus 
then you aren't followers of Jesus. Salt has to be salty, or it's not salt. Christians have to be Christ-like, or they're not Christians. And to be Christ-like is to be imitators of Jesus, willing to do what Jesus does and to experience what Jesus experiences, even the hard stuff. Blessed are, righteous are. The second half of this morning's scripture text moves from the image of salt to the image of light. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. People do not light a lamp and put it under a bushel basket. Rather, they put it on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. And again, like the image of salt, there is an expectation woven into these words. You are salt. You are light. As you carry forward the teachings and example of Jesus, you are salt. You have the flavor, the presence of Jesus. As you carry forward the teachings and example of Jesus, you are light. You have the brightness and clarity of Jesus. This is you, Jesus is saying. This is you, you who are my disciples, meek and merciful, pure in heart and peacemakers in the world, poor in spirit and persecuted for faithfulness, this is you. So be who you are. Be my disciples. Do what I do. Walk where I walk. Lean into the things I lean into. Know as I know that you may be misunderstood and even reviled. But be my disciples, salty and bright. Okay, we say, okay, we will follow Jesus. We will be Christians counter to the culture. We will seek to be faithful. We will suffer for righteousness' sake. We will do it. Heads down, hands clenched, eyes averted, humble and quiet. We will do it. For Christ's sake, we will do it. But then there's this one more verse in this bridge from the Beatitudes to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And it is this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Hold on a second. Do it. Follow Jesus. Be Christians counter to the culture. Seek to be faithful. Suffer for righteousness' sake. Do it, but not with heads down hands clenched, eyes averted, humble and quiet. For Christ's sake, we will do it, but blazing brightly. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. There it is, people. The call to be action and example evangelists. Not talk people all the way to heaven, evangelists. Not, my doctrine is better than your doctrine, evangelists. Not, I know the truth and here I can deliver it to you on a platter, evangelists. Not, listen to what I say and do what I tell you to do, evangelists. Not, my interpretation of obscure passages of Scripture is better than your interpretation of obscure passages of Scripture, evangelists. But shine the bright light of your good works, evangelists. People who share the good news of Jesus' love and healing and mercy by doing their very best to do what Jesus did. 
to walk as Jesus walked, to touch the way Jesus touched, to take it on the chin the way Jesus took it on the chin, and to call the culture of power and abuse into question the way Jesus called the culture of power and abuse into question, and to love the stranger, the outcast, the poor, the hungry, the naked, the prisoner, as Jesus loved all those people as well. Be that bright light of hope and forgiveness and inclusion and love and healing because Jesus was that way. Be that bright light of good, of goodness extended to all, in order that people might see and say, ah, right there, right there is something divine, divine. Right there is something holy. Right there is something transformative. Right there. Right there is something right and good. So God must be somewhere close by. Good works evangelism. Don't just talk the talk, but walk the walk. Be the hands and feet of Christ. Be the mind and heart of Christ in the world today. Be a bright light of goodness, goodness in action, because that's the best news of all in a world that doesn't know where to look for God. Be the bright light of goodness, not just talked about, but goodness put into action. Good works, evangelism. Now let's talk about evangelism for a moment. The word evangelism, which I've already suggested, can be a somewhat loaded word. Evangelism, a word formed from the Greek word for good news, has often been understood as spreading a very particular message of God's good news in a very particular way, spreading the spoken good news that human needs to surrender to a very particular doctrine in order to be saved and doing it with a particular kind of hubris or determination or judgment. Evangelism is a word circulated quite vigorously in American Christianity at large, but not one that we often use in our smaller circle of Christian faith and understanding. I think that's because we've come to associate it with an aggressive kind of Christian judgmentalism. But you know, if you look up the word evangelicalism or evangelism on the internet, the articles that come to the top point out something very interesting. That one of the foundational theological streams contributing to what is now known as evangelical Christianity is radical pietism. Did you know that? Radical pietism, one of the two theological identities along with Anabaptism that make up our brethren theological identity, is also identified as the root, as one of the roots of evangelicalism, of evangelical Christianity. So whether we put our arms around the word evangelism or not, it turns out we are, in our own way, evangelicals. It is our inheritance. Not Wesleyan evangelicals, not Reformed evangelicals, not fundamentalist evangelicals, not Calvinist evangelicals, not Billy Graham evangelicals, but pietist evangelicals. 
What does that mean? It means faith in action evangelicals. It means by the manner of their living evangelicals. Pietism, really? Well, here's some of what I share about pietism when I periodically teach exploring membership classes for the church. It's adapted from material from the Brethren Encyclopedia. Pietism was a reform movement which arose within continental Protestantism during the 17th century and reached its peak about the middle of the 18th century. It advocated the religious renewal of people, the church, and the culture. A biblical perspective upon the religious and ethical dimensions of human existence, the need for close religious fellowship, and a distinctive lifestyle. In pursuit of its goals, it tended to elevate practice above doctrine, spirit above form, piety above orthodoxy, active engagement above mere consent, and fellowship above church or culture-established barriers. Early pietists called for a lifestyle of moral commitment, not just teaching, but examples shown in living, and more service and charitable good works. All of that to extend the good news of Jesus. I trust you hear both the Beatitudes and the bridge text of this morning in those priorities from our forebears. And that's right, like them, we are practical, hands and feet from the heart evangelicals, bringing the good news of Jesus by trying to be the good news of Jesus with commitment and integrity and generosity. Radical pietists are the ones with the good news message that everything Jesus said and did and brought into the world is what we aim to say and do and bring into the world. Practice above doctrine, spirit above form, piety above orthodoxy, active engagement above mere consent, and fellowship above church-created or society-enforced barriers. So, guess what? You folks are evangelists. You are evangelicals. Ha. It's just a different kind of evangelism than the kind that strong arms and judges. You are evangelists every time you do the good works of Jesus in the good name of Jesus. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that it may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So this is it. You seek, you strive to be real followers of Jesus, a real example of Jesus, and God becomes that much more real to whoever sees your life. That's your hope. That's your trust. You are good news then. You don't just speak good news. You are good news. By the manner of your living. Perhaps you remember, those of you who know a little bit of Brethren history, the story of Rufus P. Booker, a Brethren farmer preacher who lived from 1883 to 1956. 
In his book, Preaching in Tavern, Ken Morse tells a story, Are You Saved? Ask My Neighbor, and tells it like this. The extent of Rufus P. Booker's evangelistic work is impressive. More than 200 series of meetings resulting in almost 3,000 ascensions to the church. On his return from one such meeting, Booker encountered a young stranger in a railway depot who handed him a tract entitled, Brother, Are You Saved? When the young man put the same question to Booker, the Church of the Brethren farmer preacher replied, I think that is a good question, and it deserves an answer. I think, however, that I might be prejudiced on my own behalf. You better go down to Quarryville and ask George Hensel, the hardware merchant, what he thinks about it. Or you might go to Mechanic Grove, the Mechanic Grove grocer, or to one of my neighbors in Unicorn, and while there you might ask my wife and children, I'll be ready to let their answers stand as my own. I like the story that Morse tells about Booker, an evangelist who had, by any measure, great success in bringing people to Jesus, revival meetings in 13 states, as well as 40 congregations in eastern Pennsylvania, resulting in nearly 3,000 conversions, but who wasn't keen on proving his own salvation. I'll let my way of living speak for itself. But I also like what is noted about him in other historical records. Booker drew illustrations for his sermons from people and events of everyday life, although sometimes criticized by elders of more somber mien for the laughs which his sense of humor drew from the congregation. He was a popular speaker and a welcome guest, especially in homes where there were children who felt comfortable with him. He was a minister to the entire community of southern Lancaster County, where many church groups other than the Brethren called upon him for services without fear of proselytizing. An evangelist who is called upon for services without fear of proselytizing. By the manner of your living. Our style too, our living too, our witness too, our light on a lampstand too. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. May it be so. Amen.